Well, we are going to continue this discussion of um, the theme Shine. We are on week number four here for, for Shine. And I want you to think along these, um, these lines with me. So this last week I had someone from our church family send me a picture, and we'll put that up right now, a picture of this that was sent to me. It's a, it's a, a picture of a coffee mug. It was given to some of our parents who do foster care. And this was given at a Christian foster parenting conference. And it was given to serve as a reminder that, that you are called to shine the love of Christ to your children. And so this particular mom sent this, this picture and said, whenever I wake up, if it's a hard day, of course, a cup of coffee is always helpful. But it's a reminder that even on my hard days, I'm called to shine uh, the light of Christ to my children and those around me. Thanks for passing this on. How are you seeing shine in your life? What is causing you to remember this call to shine? Just some brief review on where we've been. So the very first week, we looked at source. Source. Let's identify the source of light. Who is a source of light? That's God. God is the one who enables me and you to shine. We need to know God in order for us to shine. And then we looked at H, hindrance. Hindrance, looking at those hindrances which get in the way of keeping us from shining. There are... uh, A number of hindrances that the devil would love to throw at us that keep us from shining for Jesus. Let's identify what those hindrances are. They might be different for each of us. But we are wise to know what they are to avoid those hindrances. And then last week, I. There are times when difficulty is immense. It's hard for us to shine. Difficulty keeps, we feel like difficulty keeps us from shining But if we look at immense difficulty as a way to actually lean into God more, I believe that God can actually use that to help us shine to our family, to our neighborhood, to our church, to those around us. Today, we're looking at this word, nurture. Nurture. What do I mean by that? Well, I want you to think with me about ways that motivate us to actually shine. A few weeks ago, I was talking with Seth Weeby, who just led worship, and I, was, I threw out there, I'm trying to think of a word that I could use that would convey the idea um, that, that love is what motivates me to shine. And he said, nurture. Go with nurture. And I said, oh, that's a really good word. That's ah, just not going to work. It's not going to work. And then my wife said... Actually, Nathan, that's because she had been listening. Actually, Nathan, that's a really good word. Uh, you, you should use that word. So here we are, nurtured, all right? Uh, Seth Weeby, who's over, over here, you win. Not that it was a battle or anything like that, but, you know, um, good job. I concede this is a good word. We're going to go with it, nurture. And I'm going to come back to that word and help you understand a bit more, hopefully, the direction I'm going with this this morning. Well, Today, I invite you to take scripture, open your Bibles if you have them, find it on your phone if it's not already in use. Um, John chapter 21 is the passage of scripture I want to look at this morning. John chapter 21, and we're going to look at verses 1 through 19. Now, as you're turning there, 
I want you just to be aware, be mindful of the context here. What's going on? This falls right after the crucifixion, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. Jesus has appeared to the two Marys. He has appeared to the group of disciples, which at this point is 11 disciples. 11 disciples, and he's appeared to them twice. And, and now I, we have this, this third encounter with the disciples. And I, I just kind of tend to think that, that perhaps there was a sense of confusion, maybe some frustration. You know, the disciples were called to follow Jesus. And they gave their life for Jesus. Okay, we're going to follow you. And they followed him for three and a half years. And then the Savior, the Messiah, <clears throat> excuse me, is crucified, buried, raised back to life. They've seen him now twice. That's incredible, but I I think there was still this sense of, maybe this sense of loss. Before the resurrection, before the crucifixion, all of this, there was Jesus who was with the disciples day in and day out, always with them, there to lead them. Follow me. Okay, I can do that. And now there's a sense of, Do I still follow you? If I follow you, what does that look like? You're not with me physically. How do I follow you? Uh, Yeah, you're showing up. You've showed up twice. But from what we gather in Scripture, there's a time where like a week went by and they hadn't seen Jesus. So I think there's this frustration perhaps. Perhaps a sense of confusion. And so with that... We come to John chapter 21. Let's look at verses 1 through 3. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. That is Sea of Galilee. They're the same. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, And two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish. Simon Peter told them. And they said, well, we'll we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat. But that night they caught nothing. Okay. Peter is the one who gets this brainiac idea. Let's go fishing. I wish I knew how he said this. You know, I mean, like, like the emotion that was involved here. How did he say this? Because you can say, I'm going fishing in a variety of ways, can't you? You know, was it, there, there could be a sense of excitement. Woohoo! I'm going fishing. I don't think that's what he was conveying. I don't think there was a sense of excitement. All right, I'm going to go fishing. Who wants to go with me? Who wants to go with me? I don't think there was that going on. But that could have been the case. Uh, I think there could have been this sadness in Peter. Considering all that had taken place, maybe there was a sense of just sadness. This Eeyore moment. Woe is me. I'm going fishing. Anyone want to join? Uh, There could have been that. There could have been that. Or there could have been this frustration in Peter's voice. Just this, ah, I'm... I'm going fishing. Ugh, I'm just, 
I'm just going to escape it all. I'm just going to go fishing. I'm going to go back to the life that I used to know, the life that I used to live. I'm just going to go fishing. I don't know what kind of emotion accompanied this statement. I do know that he went fishing. I do know that others joined him, seven of them. Um, A number of them are mentioned. Some are not. Sons of Zebedee, do you know who that is? Know who that is? That'd be James and John. And we're told later that uh, the one who loved was uh, loved by the by the Lord Jesus is also in the boat. That's John, uh, the one who's writing this. I don't think he's saying uh, I was the one, but he does. I think he was known as maybe like teacher's pet, perhaps. You know, like like you're known in that way. The one who was loved by Jesus, uh, he was there as well. They all join. They all join in and they go fishing. And it's, as they're out, we're told that they spent all night and they caught absolutely nothing. Nothing. Let's, let's read on, verses 4 through 6. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore. But the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, Friends! Haven't you any fish? No. They answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. Now, just just stop there. Just, Just think with me. First off, the disciples don't know this is Jesus at this point. So this is some stranger standing on the shore. We read in a moment that They're separated by about 100 yards, 300 feet, distance of a football field. Okay, they're separated by by Jesus. They don't know who he is. Some stranger greets them. Friends, haven't you caught any fish? And they, no. Well, just throw your nets on the other side of the boat and you'll catch fish. (laughs) Isn't that just like crazy? I, I just think about this on the human level. Some stranger comes to you. You've been fishing all night. Just throw your nets on the other side of the boat. Now, I'm going to throw a picture up here of what the boat potentially looked like. This is actually called the Jesus boat. It was was, uh, discovered in, I believe, 1986, mid-80s for sure, discovered on the Sea of Galilee. It dates back to the time of Christ. Could have been a bit older than the time of Christ. Could have been just a little bit newer than the time of Christ. Was Jesus and his disciples on this boat? Perhaps. We don't know. Uh, Peter never like marked his initials in there. Peter was here. I, we, don't, we don't have anything that says that it was actually their, their boat. But it could have been. And isn't that amazing to think about? Okay, now you notice that this boat is relatively small. So the, the width of this boat, seven feet. Okay, so you get what I'm, what I'm, do you know where I'm going here? So we've been fishing all night. <laughs> You're on the wrong side of the boat. See, if you took the nets out and put them seven feet over here, then you would catch fish. This, this doesn't make any sense. And, and then further, what really doesn't make sense is that the disciples are like, okay, <laughs> we'll do that. Take the nets out and we'll go put them on the other side, seven feet on the other side, and we'll fish over there. Was this just God's sovereignty of, I am going to open the disciples' 
eyes up to seeing me. Could have been that. Was it that they were just like so discouraged and just tired that they're just like, okay, fine, whatever, I'll just, just give it a try. I don't know what was going through their minds. What I know is that they tried it. And let's read the response. Find out what happened. When they did this, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved, that's John, right? Said to Peter, (laughs) it's the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it's the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him for he had taken it off. He jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the full net of fish, for they were not far from the shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. They are told what to do. Take your net throw it on the other side of the boat. And when they do this, they catch so many fish that they can barely pull the nets in. It's just that heavy. Wow, this is a miracle. This is also deja vu. This is what you call deja vu. And the disciples are just hit by this, no way, this has happened before. This A very similar situation took place three and a half years earlier where the disciples had been fishing all night. They catch nothing. Jesus says, I want you to go back out there again. They didn't know who Jesus was, but they're like, okay, we'll give it a try if you say. And and they haul so many fish in that the boats began to sink. This is a deja deja vu moment where they are out fishing. They have been fishing all night. They catch nothing again. And Jesus comes to them and says, I want you to throw your net on the other side of the boat. And the catch is so huge that they can barely pull them in. And it's in that moment where I think their senses just took them right back to three and a half years earlier. Maybe the smell of the fish, maybe the exhaustion of the the night all took them back to a moment three and a half years earlier where they met Jesus, where Jesus told them, follow me. And John is the one who cries out, that is the Lord. That's Jesus. That's Jesus again. He's coming to us again. And, and Peter, good old Peter, bit impulsive. What does he do? Like he hears those words and he is just like cannonball into the in the water, dives on in. First, of course, it says that he takes his cloak and wraps it around him. Really? It's like so opposite of how we think. Yeah, that's okay, cultural differences. He had been fishing and the cloak was off. And he's like, okay, I'm going to throw my cloak back on. Jumps in, goes overboard, over the boat. Jumps in the water and begins to swim for For Jesus, he wants to get to Jesus. I wonder what this was like. I mean, the disciples, they're left with the fish trying to pull them in. And they begin to row. There were seven. Now we're down to six. But I think that six guys could probably row 
quite a bit faster than what Peter could swim. And I just wonder if they're just like rowing by him. See you later, Peter. We're going to get there before you do. And I wonder if Peter was like, oh, I did it again. I just jumped in without even thinking. Maybe he did. I don't know. He was one of those guys that kind of acts first, thinks second. That's how Peter was. Either way, they get to shore. And when they get to shore, Jesus is there. He's prepared a fire. He's prepared fish. And he has some bread for them. So let's read on. Verse 10, verses 10 through 14. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish that you just caught. Bring them over here. Simon Peter climbed aboard, so now he has to get back on the boat, and drag the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153 fish. But even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, Come, have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, Who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread, gave it to them, and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. Third appearance with the disciples. I love it that Jesus, before, we're going to go here deeper because this passage definitely goes deeper. But before Jesus goes spiritual, he really addresses their physical their physical needs. Hey, come here. I've prepared breakfast for you. You've been fishing all night. I'm reading in between the lines here, but I think there had to be this sense of frustration. You don't, if you're going to go fishing all night and you catch nothing, you're going to be frustrated, right? And so he's just, come here. I've got breakfast for you. Eat. I want you to eat. I want you to take care of yourself. But now, this is the part where, uh, where Jesus goes deeper with Peter. Let's read on. Verse 15. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord. He said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. A third time, he, Jesus said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. So going a bit deeper here, Jesus has this conversation. Peter is satisfied. His belly has been filled. He's had some fish. He's had some bread. Not your typical breakfast. Mom's probably not what was provided for you this morning. But this was pretty typical. It felt good for them. They liked it. And, and Jesus perhaps pulls Peter aside. I don't know if the disciples were listening in. I assume that they were listening in. I think at least John was listening in. He's the one who records this. 
but talks with Peter, specifically Peter. Peter, I want to know, do you love me? Don't forget that Peter is the one who has denied that he even knows Jesus. Just the matter of a couple weeks earlier, Peter denied that he knew Jesus. So I don't think this is crazy that Jesus would come to Peter and ask him, do you love me? Because Peter's the one who called down curses on himself. I do not know the man. Peter, do you love me? And do you notice in the very first question that Jesus says, Peter, do you love me more than these? What do you think these were? What do you think these were? Uh, you're, you're definitely welcome if you want. You can type it in the chat section there if you'd like. I, I'm just thinking about like what these could have been. Don't you wish that we were there? If we were there, it'd be, it, we would know. <laughs> Don't you love me more than these? Don't you love me more than these? Well, you know, like what were, what were Jesus' hands doing? Peter would have known what he's talking about. We just have the recorded text of what he was saying, so we don't exactly know what he's saying. Peter, do you love me more than these? Well, some of the ideas, what it could have been, and I don't, I'm not following the chat section to know what you're, if you're responding, but definitely could have been, maybe Peter was counting the fish. You know, like going through, score! <laughs> yeah! I got fish! 153 large fish. And it could have been, you know, Jesus coming alongside of him, cleaning out the fish with him. Peter, let me help you there. And I, I got a question for you. Do you love me more than these? Peter, do you love me more than these fish? We might be like, big whoop, a fish. <laughs> I don't even like fish. Perhaps you don't like fish. I don't know. 153 fish. You need to... Keep in mind that this was nourishment for the stomach, for sure. Food on the table. This was income. This is income. This isn't just nourishment. This was income. This was a source of income. Peter, do you love me more than these? Could have been the fish. Maybe it was looking at the boat. Oh, she's a beauty. <laughs> Could have been that. Peter, do you love me more than these fishing boats? Could have been maybe Peter was actually cleaning out the fishing nets. Peter, do you love me more than these nets? These nets, they, yeah, they catch fish, but do you love me more than these? Could have been that Jesus is actually looking at Peter and he's saying, do you love me more than these other disciples do? Maybe he's with the other disciples and do you love me more than the other guys? I'll be, I'll just tell you that I don't think that it was the final option I just gave you. I don't think, I, I know there are some theologians who have said that Jesus is asking him, do you love me more than, the, uh, than these, the disciples? I have a hard time believing that's the case because Jesus never in the Gospels played a comparison game. The disciples often played a comparison game. Man, who's going to be the greatest? Who's going to sit to the right and the left? Oh, man, I'm greater than you are. And Jesus would often see their heart, hear the conversation, and say, this is silly. This is silliness. 
So I don't think that Jesus is, is coming to Peter saying, hey, do you love me more than these other disciples do? How does your love stack up? I don't think he's doing that. I, I tend to really believe it's perhaps more the area of the fish or the, the boat or the nets. Peter, I called you to follow me. Three and a half years I came to you in a similar situation. When you were fishing for fish, real fish. And I called you and I performed a miracle. And then I said, Peter, follow me. And you did. You gave your life to following me. And for three and a half years you followed me. And now you are resorting back to this old way of life, which was more comfortable for you. It's just what you knew. Before you met me, this is what you knew. And you are taking yourself back to that time. And you are resorting back to your old ways. Peter, I'm asking you, do you love me more than these? Do you love me more than this life that you had? I've called you to more than this. I've called you to follow me. Peter, nothing has changed. I still am asking you to follow me. Are you going to follow me? Peter, you have a decision. Do you love me? I tend to think that's really what what Jesus is getting at here. And Peter says, yeah. Jesus, I love you. I love you. Second and third time, Jesus, I love you. The third, the third time especially says that he was hurt. <laughs> Lord, you, you know everything. You know, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus' response, well, you take care of my sheep then. You take care of my lambs. Take care of the church. Take care of, of fellow believers. Take care of those people who have chosen to follow Jesus as well. You take care of them. Now, there's something actually, I believe, deeper going on here, and I want to bring this to your attention right now. We have this text here of, Peter, do you love me? Yes, I love you. I think there's something more going on here. In the English language, when we use the word love, we use the word love for all sorts of things. I love lasagna. Mmm, it's good. Tastes good. My, my mother, who is listening right now, she makes a mean lasagna. It's good. I love lasagna. But, but like, I would say I love lasagna, but am I willing to, like, sacrifice myself for a lasagna? No. I mean, like, my mom's lasagna is good, but, like, if I don't get it, I'll be okay. Like, my love isn't that, I'm not that devoted to lasagna. No. Or I could say, I love the people of Salem. My heart longs for the people of Salem. I love the people of Salem. And I want the people of Salem to come to place their faith in Jesus. I love the people of Salem. Yes, it's true. I'm using the word love to, to convey that. Am I, am I selfless in that love? Am, yeah, there is a lot of selflessness in that love. Am I willing to sacrifice for that love of Salem? 
Well, how about I love my mom since this is Mother's Day? Or I love my wife. Okay, now we're talking love in a, at, a, at a whole new realm. This isn't the same as I love lasagna. This is, this is a deeper kind of love. But we, we use the same word love to describe all of this. Well, in the Greek language, they had a variety of words used to describe love. Four of the most common because there were actually other words which describe love. The very first was the word eros, from which we get the word erotic. That would be romantic or sexual love. Eros. This kind of love is actually not mentioned in the New Testament. It's not that God doesn't mention it because God doesn't believe in romantic or sexual love. No, he is the creator of romantic and sexual love. That's why we want to honor God in the area of romantic and sexual love. We want to do things as he describes it. But it's actually not, eros is not actually um, used in the New Testament. Second word, storge. Storge is more of a family type of love. It describes the love that a sibling has for another sibling. So like brothers or sisters, the kind of love that they have one for each other. That's an interesting kind of love, isn't it? Because siblings, man, we can pick on each other a lot, can't we? It happens. Happens in my home. Happened in my home growing up. We like to pick on each other. Um, I, I think when someone begins to pick on our sibling, though, there's a holy fire there, isn't there? Then we're fighting words. Like, you pick on my brother or my sister who's younger than me. Then we're fighting words. You don't do that. No one messes with my brother or my sister. I do that. That's my job. I will do that. No one else does that. You mess with them, you're going to get a bit of me coming at you. Okay, that's, that's, that's Storgate. This, this family type of love. Well, then there is uh, phileo or philia type of love. And this kind of love is a friendship love. Friendship love. The love that friends have one for another. Phileo. I like to say phileo. It also could be phileo or uh, philia. Okay, but it's the same. This kind of love is described in the New Testament. The others, storge and eros, they're not found in the New Testament. But this other, phileo, it is. And then the fourth that I'm going to look at here really quick is agape. This is the most common kind of love. This is the kind of love that we see recorded in the New Testament oftentimes. This is a very selfless, sacrificial love. Desiring what is best for the other person. Those that we love. This is a kind of love that is used to describe God's love for us. This is the kind of love that he has for us. Now, coming back to this text here that we're looking at, when Jesus asks the words, Peter, do you love me? What word do you believe he is using? Peter, do you love me? We know already it's, that it's not eros and it's not, um, it's not storge. It's not those kind of loves. 
Is it agape or is it phileo? Peter, do you love me? He is asking, Peter, do you agape me? Peter, are you committed to me? Peter, are you willing to sacrifice yourself for me? Do you have this kind of agape love that the Father has for you? Now, do you have this for me? Peter, do you agape me? Peter's response was, yes, Lord, I love you. How did Peter respond? Did he respond by saying, Lord, I sure agape you? No. Peter's response was a change of words here. Peter's response was, Lord, I phileo you. I phileo you. I have a deep appreciation for who you are. I phileo you. There is this friendship kind of love that I have for you. Wow, you are, mm, I like who you are. I phileo you. But he wasn't willing to say, Lord, I agape you. I am deeply committed to you. I will selflessly give myself for you. He wasn't, he didn't say that. Second time, how does Jesus come at, at Peter with, with what kind of words does he come? Peter, do you agape me? Peter, I'm asking you again, do you agape me? You said that you phileo me. I'm asking you, Peter, a second time. No, do you agape me? And how does Peter respond? His response is, Lord, I phileo you. I phileo you. I still phileo you. He could not bring himself to say, I agape you. Perhaps Peter is thinking about just a matter of a couple weeks prior where he had denied knowing Jesus. Uh, Lord, I, I phileo you. I cannot say I agape you. You're asking too much. You agape me. That's your job. I'm not going to agape you. I will phileo you. I'll phileo you. I will do that. Is that what Peter is thinking here? The third time Jesus comes questioning Peter. Peter, I want to know. Now, how does, how does Jesus ask this? Does he come with agape? The third time, Jesus says, Peter, do you phileo me? Do you actually phileo me? Do you have this friendship love for me? Do you have this affection for me that you describe? Peter, I want to know, do you even have this is this what you have for me, Peter? And Peter is hurt. And he says to him, Lord, you know all things. And you know. How did he respond with his love? Lord, you know that I phileo you. I phileo you. I have a professor. I had a professor recently um, who actually addressed this passage and, and he actually believed that we shouldn't make too much of these words here, the difference. And I very much disagree with his conclusion on that. These words 
are intended to convey meaning. And they were chosen by Jesus and by Peter. And John chose to record them as I believe that they were exchanging them. And they let us know a little bit about what was kind of going on in Peter's mind at this time. Lord, I cannot bring myself to agape you. I phileo you. And the very first time years ago when I was studying this passage, my thought was when I heard Jesus on the third time say, Peter, do you phileo me? Part of me was just thinking, no, no. Call, keep the bar high. Call for the agape love. And yet Jesus was, was being realistic, I think, and just understanding Peter, who he is and where he's coming from. Okay, Peter, let me ask you, do you phileo me? Let's begin there. Do you actually phileo me? But let's, let's look at the next couple of verses because I think there's a bit more here. Verse 18, Jesus continues, I tell you the truth. When you were younger, Peter, you dressed yourself. You went where you wanted. When you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you to where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify, glorify God. Then Jesus said to Peter, follow me. Tradition has it, scripture doesn't record this. Tradition has long held that Peter was crucified upside down. He was a martyr. He was crucified upside down, and tradition tells us that Peter is the one who requested. He he knew that he would be crucified. His request was that since he would be crucified, because he had denied knowing the Lord Jesus three times before the crucifixion of Jesus, he counted himself unworthy to actually be crucified right side up. So he said, I am unworthy, crucify me upside down. And tradition holds that he was crucified upside down. Jesus hinted towards the kind of death that Peter would encounter. Your hands will be stretched out and someone will lead you to where you do not want to go. Consider this. The love of Peter grew, significantly grew. I look at at Peter when he was called by Jesus the very first time, come and follow me. And Peter responded and followed him and walked with Jesus for three and a half years. And then when Jesus was standing trial um, before the Sanhedrin, Peter denies knowing Jesus. And now Jesus kind of reinstates Peter and, and asks him three times, do you love me? And says, I want you to feed my sheep. And Peter says, I phileo you. And I think to some degree, I'm reading in between the lines here, but I think to a certain degree, Jesus is saying, I'll, I'll work with that. I, I will. Yes, let's go. Okay, you have not claimed agape love for me. Let's go. You will claim agape love for me. 
You will. The day is coming when your hands will be stretched out. That is agape love. You will sacrificially give of yourself for the sake of Christ. And you look at, at passages in Acts. Last week, if you were with us, we looked at a passage of Scripture where, Jesus, or where, where Peter was before the Sanhedrin and boldly proclaimed Jesus. You see, even over the course of a couple months, I believe that Peter's love grew from phileo to agape, and he was flogged, and he went away, away rejoicing because he was worthy of bearing the name of Christ. His love grew significantly for Jesus. I want you to think with me about this word, nurture. I believe that Jesus is an excellent example of someone who nurtured Peter in this case. But his nurture doesn't just stop with Peter. It was all of the disciples. He was willing to nurture them, and I know that might seem a little strange to think of it that way, but Jesus was willing to work with Peter and the other disciples, who they were when he first called them. You're fishermen. You're rough around the edge. I like it. I want to work with you. Follow me. I'm going to teach you how to be fishers of men. I want to teach you how to fish for people. And they did. And they followed the Messiah for three and a half years. And then after the ascension of Jesus, after his death, burial, resurrection, and then his eventual ascension to heaven, the disciples were bold for Jesus. But how did that come about? It's because Jesus was working this whole time, working with who they were, accepting them at the, the level that they were at, the kind of love that they had for him, identifying that, calling them to a greater kind of love, but patiently leading them. Jesus nurtured them. And because of that, the disciples were able to respond with love back for the Lord. Their love grew for Jesus. To the point of where Peter eventually has crucified himself. His love grew for Jesus. How will you and I be motivated to shine for Jesus? We are motivated by our love. We are not motivated by a checklist, a religious checklist of here's the things that I am to do. Okay, now I'm shining because I did these things. That, that really can... It makes us grow weary to have religious checklists. What motivates me to shine? What motivates you to shine? It's our love for Jesus. Our love for Jesus is what motivates us to want to shine. It's what motivated Peter to want to shine. Are you shining for Jesus? Are you being nurtured by Jesus?
You see, Jesus pursues each of us. Just as Jesus pursued Peter, Jesus pursues you and me. But you and I must be willing to allow Jesus to pursue us. There is part of us that must surrender our will to Jesus. Jesus, I allow you to pursue me. I allow you to nourish me. I want that from you. Are you willing to allow Jesus to help you grow in your faith? How does this happen? I I know that this can strike, it kind of sounds a bit like checklists. But since I was a little kid, and probably if you grew up, if you've got a background in church, since you were a little kid, we have been taught to read our Bible and to pray. These are two disciplines that are rather simple but needed. Our relationship with Jesus is a relationship. It, it calls for connectivity. It calls for us to get to know Jesus and for Jesus to get to know us. And how does that happen? It happens by spending time in prayer. It happens by spending time in his word. These are ways in which we allow Jesus to get to know us, to feed into us, to feed us, to nourish us through his word. Are you allowing Jesus to be the one who nurtures you? He longs to do this, but there must be this part of us that says, I accept it. I want it. I welcome it. Peter got himself to the point where he welcomed it. And because of that, his love grew. And because his love for Jesus grew, Peter was able to shine all the more. Love is interesting. We cannot force love. We cannot manufacture love. But I believe that we can cultivate love. We can cultivate like soil, we can cultivate good soil so that love springs up. How do we do that? By these practices I mentioned. When's the last time you were actually in Scripture for yourself? Not for a, well, a Bible study is perhaps really good. It's maybe a, a, a sense of accountability. But are, are you actually getting to know the Word of God? Are you letting God speak to you through what He has revealed to us? When's the last time he went in prayer to the Lord? Perhaps it was just this morning. But perhaps you're like, it's been a long time. We have this part. To allow Jesus to nurture us. We must have this posture of, I willingly accept this from you. What can you do this coming week? To help give you a greater posture of being willing to receive from the Lord what he wants to offer to you. The Lord is speaking. He longs to speak to you. I trust that you are listening. As he nurtures you, your love will grow for him. And as your love grows for him, as my love grows for him, he will use us to shine in greater ways for him. This will be natural shining. That's that's the kind of shining I want to do something that is far more organic. Let's pray. Lord, we come to you. I thank you for this example that we have of um, the encounter of Peter with the Lord Jesus. I thank you for even the honesty 
um, of Peter in recognizing this phileo love and, and really this difficulty in claiming agape love. I, I appreciate that because he wasn't pretending to be someone that he's not. But I also see how, um, Jesus, how you are willing to work with him. Just patiently work with him. I believe that you do the same thing with us. We are nurtured by you when we allow you to do this. So, Father, may we have a posture this week which allows you to feed our souls, nourish our souls. And may this be something that causes our love for you to grow in greater ways. We ask this all in the name of Jesus. Amen.